Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalif al-Masih V, Ayyadullah ibn Aziz stated, Today I will speak about the companions that participated in the Battle of Badr. But first, I would like to make a clarification. A narration from Musnad Ahmad bin Hanbal was mentioned in relation to Hazrat Muaz bin Jabal anhu, two Friday sermons ago, in which there was mention of the plague. The Holy Prophet said, You will soon migrate to Syria, and it will be conquered at your hands. However, there you will suffer from a disease consisting of boils and blisters, which will catch a person at the rung of the ladder. The accurate translation of this was not mentioned. There was a mistake, and moreover, it does not explain the matter. Hence, I will once again mention the narration with its correct translation. Ismail bin Ubaidullah narrates that Hazrat Muaz bin Jabal radiallahu anhu related I heard the Holy Prophet sallallahu say you will soon migrate to Syria and you will conquer it there a disease will break out among you which will resemble a boil or will be something that will give a sharp and severe pain it will appear below one's navel here the translation of which will catch a person at the rung of the ladder was for something else and was incorrect. The correct translation is that it will appear below the navel, just as a boil develops on the lower part of the body, under the navel and above the leg. The Holy Prophet ﷺ stated that through this Allah the Exalted will grant people martyrdom and as a result of this he will purify their deeds. Following this, Hazrat Muaz prayed, O Allah, if you are aware of the fact that Muaz bin Jabal heard these words from the Holy Prophet then grant him and his family a large portion of this. As a result of this, all of them were struck by the plague, and not one of them was spared. When the boil of the plague developed on the index finger of Hazrat Muaz, he said, I will not rejoice if I were given red camels in exchange for this. 
And this was the correction. This has already been corrected in the translations that are published, such as in Al-Fazl. I thought I ought to share it with you as well. Previously, accounts regarding Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr were being narrated. And I will continue narrating those accounts now. Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah relates, On the day of the Battle of Uhud, my father was brought to the Holy Prophet with his body having been completely mutilated. That is, his body parts had been cut off, his nose and ears in particular. His body was placed before the Holy Prophet Following this, he says, As I was going to lift the piece of cloth from his face, people told me not to do so. Subsequently, people heard the shriek of a woman, upon which someone said that it was the daughter of Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr, Hazrat Fatma bin Amr. It is also stated that it was the sister of Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr. Upon this, the Holy Prophet said, Do not cry, as angels are constantly covering him under their wings. In another narration, it is related by Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah. When my father was brought on the day of Uhud, my maternal aunt started to cry. As a result of this, I also began to cry. People told me not to cry, but the Holy Prophet did not do so. Following this, the Holy Prophet said to the people, Whether you cry for him or not, by Allah, angels were granting him shade with their wings until you buried him. There are varying opinions in relation to the funeral prayers for the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud, and the opinions vary significantly. In the narration from Sahih Bukhari, Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah relates that the Holy Prophet would wrap two martyrs from the Battle of Uhud in one cloth and then ask who among the two knew a larger portion of the Holy Quran. After one of them had been pointed out, the Holy Prophet would lower him into the grave first and say that I will be their witness on the Day of Judgment and he also instructed for them to be buried in their wounded state. They were neither washed nor was their funeral prayer offered. In another narration from Sayyid Bukhari, the first one was also from Bukhari, Hazrat Uqba bin Amir relates that one day the Holy Prophet came and offered the funeral prayer of the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud. In yet another narration from Bukhari, it is mentioned that the Holy Prophet offered the funeral prayers for the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud eight years after the battle took place. In Sunan ibn Majah, Hazrat ibn Abbas relates that the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud would be brought to the Holy Prophet and he would lead the funeral prayer of ten martyrs at a time. The body of Hazrat Hamza would remain beside the Holy Prophet whereas the other martyrs would be taken away. In Sunan Abi Daud, Hazrat Anas bin Malik narrates, The martyrs of Uhud were not washed and were buried in their wounded state and none of their funeral prayers were offered. 
There is another narration of Sunan Abi Daud in which Hazrat Anas anhu relates that the Holy Prophet did not perform the funeral prayer of anyone except Hazrat Hamza. In an account of Sunan At-Tirmazi, Hazrat Anas bin Malik anhu narrates that the Holy Prophet did not offer the funeral prayer of any martyr from the Battle of Uhud. It is recorded in Sirat ibn Hisham and Sirat al-Halabiyya that the method in which the Holy Prophet performed the funeral prayer of the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud was to first of all offer the funeral prayer of Hazrat Hamza. He recited the takbirat seven times. According to Sirat al-Halabiyya, he recited four takbirat. Thereafter, each martyr was brought forward one by one and placed alongside the body of Hazrat Hamza. Then the Holy Prophet would perform the funeral prayer of both of them. In this way, the funeral prayer of each martyr was performed and that of Hazrat Hamza was offered 72 times. And according to others, it was 92 times. It is written in Dalail al-Nabuwa, a book of Sirah, that nine martyrs were brought and placed beside the body of Hazrat Hamza and their funeral prayers were offered. Then those nine would be taken away and the next nine martyrs were brought. The funeral prayers of all the martyrs were offered in this manner. In each funeral prayer, the Holy Prophet recited seven takbirat. There are debates about the narrations of Sirat al-Halabiyya and Dalail al-Nabuwa with regards to the funeral prayers of the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud. In both books, the narration of Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah, in which the Holy Prophet instructed that the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud ought to be buried in their wounded state, neither were they bathed nor was their funeral prayer offered, has been declared to be more reliable. Hazrat Imam Shafi narrates, It can be strongly determined from several narrations that the Holy Prophet did not lead the funeral prayer of the martyrs during the Battle of Uhud. And the narrations that mention that the Holy Prophet led their funeral prayers and recited 70 takbirat in the funeral prayer of Hazrat Hamza are incorrect. As for the narration of Hazrat Uqba bin Amir, that the Holy Prophet led the funeral prayers of these martyrs eight years later, there is mention that the funeral took place eight years later. As I have mentioned, there have been lengthy debates about this. I shall narrate a few more. Imam Bukhari has assigned a chapter in his book by the name of Babu Salat al-Shaheed, i.e. the chapter on the funeral prayer of a martyr. And he has mentioned only two narrations under this chapter. The first is of Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah, in which it is clearly stated that the martyrs from the Battle of Uhud were not washed, nor was their funeral prayer offered. The second narration is of Hazrat Uqba bin Amir, in which he stated, Annan Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kharaja yawman fasalla ala ahli uhdin salatahu ala al-mayyit meaning one day the Holy Prophet ﷺ went out and led the funeral prayers of the martyrs from the Battle of Uhud. This narration is found elsewhere in Sahih Bukhari, namely in the chapter about the Battle of Uhud. This companion mentions there that Salla ala qatla uhdin ba'da thamani sinina kal muwaddi'i lil ahya'i wal amwat i.e. that the Holy Prophet ﷺ offered the funeral prayers of the martyrs of the Battle of Uhud eight years later 
in the way that the living or the dead are bade farewell. Similarly, Alama ibn Hajar Asqalani states that what Imam Shafi means by this is that one's funeral prayer cannot be offered at their grave after a long period of time. According to Imam Shafi, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ was aware that his demise was nigh, he went to their graves and prayed for them and sought forgiveness for them as he bade them farewell. Whilst mentioning the covering and burial of the martyrs of Uhud, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib writes in Sirah Khatam al-Nabiyyin, After the dead bodies had been tended to, the task of burial began. The Holy Prophet ﷺ instructed that the clothes on the bodies of the martyrs should be left as they were, and that the martyrs should not be bathed. Albeit, if someone had extra cloth which could be used as a shroud, the Holy Prophet instructed that it should be wrapped around the existing clothes worn by the martyrs. The funeral prayer was also not offered at the time. As such, the martyrs were buried without being bathed and without a funeral prayer. Generally, two companions were shrouded together in a single cloth and buried together in a single grave. According to the instruction of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, a companion who knew more of the Holy Qur'an was lowered into the grave first. He further writes, Although a funeral prayer was not offered at that time, afterwards, close to the era of his demise, the Holy Prophet ﷺ especially offered a funeral prayer for the martyrs of Ohud. He inferred from the various historical sources that either their funeral prayer was offered or possibly that the Holy Prophet ﷺ prayed for them. But in any case, he offered the funeral prayer and prayed for them with great anguish. It may well be that he prayed for them as was mentioned previously, whereby he went to each grave and prayed fervently for them. Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah relates, I made a grave for my father six months after the battle of Ohud, and when I buried him in it, I did not see any changes in his body except for some hairs of his beard that were close to the ground. In another account, Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah relates, During the Battle of Ohud, two people were buried in one grave and another companion was buried alongside my father. After six months had passed, I desired to bury him in a separate grave. So I took him out of that grave and saw that the ground had not changed his body at all except a little of his skin. Forty-six years after the Battle of Ohud, during the rule of Hazrat Amir Muawiyah, he had a stream built, the water of which had entered the graves of the martyrs of Ohud. Water had entered the grave of Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr and Hazrat Amr bin Jammu. When their grave was dug up, there were two cloths that were covering them both. The narrator states that their faces were marked with wounds and their hands were covering their wounds. In any case, what is mentioned in the following part of this narration is questionable. Although I shall narrate it, this does not mean that it should be relied upon. As it is recorded in some books of history, and there are those who come across this, the purpose of mentioning this is to show that there may have been some exaggeration in this narration. As it were, the narrator states, When the hand was taken off the wounds, blood flowed out which is impossible. 
Then his hand was placed back on the wounds and the blood stopped flowing. Thus, such narrations also exist, which are doubtful and unreliable. As Jabir bin Abdullah states, When I saw my father in the grave, it seemed as though he was sleeping. Whereas, in the earlier narration, after six months, he said that there was a change in the flesh. So it would not have been possible that 46 years later, there was no change to his body and that his body was not reduced to bones. This is the law of nature. It cannot be the case that there was no change to the body. Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah relates, Once the Holy Prophet saw me and he stated, O Jabir, what is the matter? For you seem very sad. I submitted, O Messenger of Allah, my father was martyred during the Battle of Uhud and he has left behind progeny and a debt. The Holy Prophet replied, Shall I not give you glad tidings regarding your father, which became the means of Allah meeting him? I submitted, Yes, O Messenger of Allah. The Holy Prophet stated, Allah the Almighty conversed with everyone behind a veil. However, he brought your father back to life and spoke to him directly and said, O my servant, ask of me whatever you will and I shall grant it to you. He submitted, O my Lord, grant me life once again so that I again may be martyred in your way. According to another narration, it states that on this occasion Hazrat Abdullah submitted, O my Lord, I was unable to fulfill my dues of your worship. Thus grant me life once again so that I may stand next to your Prophet and fight in your way and embrace martyrdom once again for your sake. Upon this, Allah the Almighty stated, I have decreed that once someone dies, they shall never return to the earth. Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr requested, O my Lord, convey this to my loved ones in the world. Subsequently, Allah the Almighty revealed the following verse, وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ الَّذِينَ قُتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتًا بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ يُرْزَقُونَ Meaning, think not of those who have been slain in the cause of Allah as dead. Nay, they are living. In the presence of their Lord and are granted gifts from Him. I previously quoted this verse in relation to Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah. In regards to Allah the Almighty conversing with Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr, Hazrat Khalif al-Masih IV, rahimahullah, mentioned this incident in detail in one of his speeches prior to his Khilafat. He states, This incident is filled with countless aspects of beauty. From whichever perspective one looks at it, it manifests its grace and splendor. Among many other things, we learn how the Holy Prophet ﷺ remained in constant communication with his Lord. On the one hand, he was filled with benevolence towards his fellow people, and at the same time, his heart remained attached with his Lord. One aspect of his being was devoted to his companions and the other was firmly attached and bonded to his beloved, the Most High. Whether it be a time of peace and security or in the midst of a battle, he continued to scale the loftiest heights of the spiritual station of Dana Fatadalla. One eye would be overseeing the battlefield whilst the other would be engaged in witnessing the wondrous signs of his Lord. One ear would be compassionately listening to his companions whilst the other would be engaged in listening to the delightful sound of divine revelation. His hands were working whilst his heart remained occupied in the remembrance of God. He would be consoling and reassuring his companions 
whilst God Almighty himself would be granting him comfort and solace. By revealing the heartfelt desire of Abdullah bin Amr, Allah the Almighty was informing the Holy Prophet ﷺ that, O one who loves me more than anyone else, I have filled the hearts of my righteous servants with so much love for you that even after passing away from this transient world, they continue to have a heartfelt longing for you and to have left you alone in the battlefield pains their heart. They do not even desire the gardens of paradise when it comes to you because for them their paradise is to be at your side and even if they are repeatedly killed by the sword, their only desire is to be with you again and again. Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah narrates, When Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr passed away, he had a debt that he still owed to the people. I requested help from the Holy Prophet ﷺ if he could speak to those whom he owed the debt as to whether they could reduce some of the debt payment. The Holy Prophet ﷺ conveyed my request to them. However, they did not reduce anything from the debt. Upon this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ stated, Go and divide all your dates according to their different varieties. Place the Ajwa dates separately and the Azq bin Zayed dates separately and then inform me. I did exactly as the Holy Prophet ﷺ instructed and then sent word to the Holy Prophet ﷺ. The Holy Prophet ﷺ came and sat amongst the piles of dates and stated, Weigh them and then pay off those individuals with it. I did exactly as the Holy Prophet ﷺ stated. I weighed them and gave them the full share they were owed as debt and even then I had some dates left over. It seemed as if nothing had been taken away from the original amount I had. Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr left behind his son, Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah, and six daughters. According to a narration of Sahih Bukhari, Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr left behind seven or nine daughters. The next companion whose accounts I shall narrate is Hazrat Abu Dajana, Hazrat Simak bin Kharsha. Hazrat Abu Dajana belonged to the Banu Sa'ida branch of the Khazraj tribe of the Ansar. Hazrat Abu Dajana's father's name was Kharsha, whilst it has also been reported that his father's name was Aus and his grandfather was Kharsha. Hazrat Abu Dajana's mother's name was Hazma bint Harmala. Hazrat Abu Dajana was more commonly known by his title of Abu Dajana than his actual name. Hazrat Abu Dajana had a son whose name was Khalid and his mother's name was Amna bint Amr. When Hazrat Utba bin Ghazwan migrated from Makkah to Medina, the Holy Prophet established a bond of brotherhood between him and Hazrat Abu Dajana. Hazrat Abu Dajana took part in all the battles alongside the Holy Prophet including the battles of Badr and Uhud. Hazrat Abu Dujana is counted amongst the prominent companions of the Ansar and was well known for his participation in the battles alongside the Holy Prophet Whenever there was a battle, Hazrat Abu Dujana would display great courage and bravery and he was an extremely skilled horseman. Hazrat Abu Dujana had a red-coloured kerchief which he would tie around his head only when in battle. Whenever he would tie the red kerchief around his head, people would know that Hazrat Abu Dujana was now ready for battle. Hazrat Abu Dujana was counted amongst the brave and courageous men. Muhammad bin Ibrahim relates from his father that Hazrat Abu Dujana could easily be recognized in battles from the red turban 
and he also wore this on the occasion of the Battle of Badr. Muhammad bin Umar relates that Hazrat Abu Dujana took part in the Battle of Uhud in the same manner and stood resolutely alongside the Holy Prophet and had taken the oath that he would be ready to sacrifice his life. On the day of the Battle of Uhud, Hazrat Abu Dujana and Hazrat Musa bin Umair bravely defended the Holy Prophet Hazrat Abu Dujana was severely wounded that day whilst Hazrat Musa bin Umair embraced martyrdom. Hazrat Anas relates that on the day of the Battle of Uhud, the Holy Prophet took hold of a sword and stated, Who shall take this from me? Everyone raised their hands and each of them requested to have it. The Holy Prophet then stated, Who shall take this whilst doing justice to it? Hazrat Anas narrates that upon this some of the people stopped to ask for it. However, Hazrat Simak bin Kharsha Abu Dujana submitted, I shall take it and will indeed do justice to it. Hazrat Anas relates that Hazrat Abu Dujana took hold of the sword and split the heads of the idolaters. In another narration, it states that Hazrat Abu Dujana asked that how can one do justice to it? Upon this, the Holy Prophet stated, Do not kill any Muslim with this and never flee from the disbelievers whilst you are in possession of it. In other words, to fight against them courageously. Hazrat Abu Dujana then submitted, I will take this sword and will indeed do justice to it. When the Holy Prophet handed over this sword to him, he split the heads of the idolaters and following this recited the following couplets. I am the one whose friend had taken an oath from me whilst we stood near the date palms of Safa. I pledge that I shall not stand in the rows at the rear of the army, and I shall fight the enemy with the sword of Allah and his messenger. Hazrat Abu Dujana began to proudly walk amongst the army rows, and observing this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ stated, Inna hadihi mishyatun yubghiduhallahu azza wa jal illa fi hadhal maqam meaning the manner in which he is walking is one that Allah is displeased with, except for occasions like this, i.e. during the battle. Hazrat Zubair bin Alawam relates that on the day of the battle of Uhud, the Holy Prophet ﷺ presented a sword and said, مَنْ يَأْخُذُ هَذَا السَّيْفِ بِحَقِّهِ Who shall take this sword and do justice to it? Hazrat Zubair narrates, I stood up and submitted, O Messenger of Allah, I shall take it. The Holy Prophet ﷺ turned away and again submitted, Who shall take this sword and do justice to it? Again I submitted, O Messenger of Allah, I shall take it. And again the Holy Prophet ﷺ turned away. The Holy Prophet ﷺ once again stated, Who shall take this sword and do justice to it? Thereafter, Hazrat Abu Dujana, Simag bin Kharcha, stood up and submitted, O Messenger of Allah, I shall take this sword and will indeed do justice to it. But how exactly am I to do justice to it? The Holy Prophet ﷺ stated, Do not kill any Muslim with it, and never flee from the dis- disbeliever whilst you are in possession of it. Courageously fight against them. Hazrat Zubair further narrates, After this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ gave the sword to Hazrat Abu Dujana. It was a habit of Abu Dujana that whenever he went forth for any battle, he would tie a piece of red cloth around his head. At the time, I said to myself, I shall see how Abu Dujana does justice to the sword. Hazrat Zubair narrates, 
Whoever came up against Abu Dujana would be killed by him. And cutting through the enemy ranks, he went ahead to the extent that he went right through the enemy rows and reached the point where the women were, who were beating the drums near the side of the mountain. At the time, one of the women was reciting the following couplet, the translation of which is, We are the daughters of the morning star of Tariq, who soar above the clouds. If you advance boldly, we will embrace you and lay down cushions for your comfort. But if you show cowardice and retreat, we will abandon you in a manner whereby not a grain of love between us shall remain. Hazrat Zubair says, I saw Abu Dujana raise a sword against a woman and then lower it. When the battle finished, I said to him, I watched you throughout the battle. You raised a sword to a woman and then lowered it. What was the reason for this? He replied, By Allah, it was out of honor for the sword of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, lest it be used to slay a woman. It was not possible for me to kill a woman using the sword of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, and for this reason I stopped myself. In another narration it is stated that this woman was Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan, who was singing along with the other women. When Hazrat Abu Dujana raised his sword to Hind, she cried out for help. However, no one came to her aid. Hazrat Abu Dujana lowered his sword and then returned. Upon the inquiry by Hazrat Zubair, he said, I did not like to kill a helpless woman with the sword of the Holy Prophet Mentioning this incident of Hazrat Abu Dujana, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes in Sir Khatam al The disbelievers of the Quraysh suffered a crushing defeat in the duels. Upon witnessing this sight, the disbelievers became furious and launched an all-out attack. Calling out slogans of God's greatness, the Muslims also marched forward, and both armies fiercely collided one one another. It was perhaps on this occasion that the Holy Prophet took his sword in his hand and said, Who shall take this sword and do justice to it? Many companions extended their hands in desire of this honour, which included Hazrat Umar and Hazrat Zubair, and in light of various narrations, even Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Ali. The Holy Prophet ﷺ, however, restrained his hand and continued to say, Is there anyone who will do justice to the sword? Finally, Abu Dujana Ansari extended his hand and submitted, O Messenger of Allah, grant me this honour. The Holy Prophet ﷺ endowed the sword upon him. And with this sword in hand, Abu Dujana strutted forward, marching proudly towards the disbelievers. The Holy Prophet ﷺ addressed the companions, saying, Allah greatly abhors this gate, but not on an occasion like this. Zubair who was most desirous of receiving the sword of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, and who felt that he was more deserving due to his being a close relative of the Holy Prophet, began to toss and turn in anxiety. He thought to himself, why had not the Holy Prophet ﷺ entrusted this sword to him, but endowed it to Abu Dujana instead? In order to alleviate his own distress in his heart, he vowed to remain close to Abu Dujana in the field of battle, so that he could witness how this sword was put to use. As such he relates, Abu Dujana tied a red cloth on his head, and taking this sword in hand, while softly humming songs of God's praise, he penetrated the idolatrous ranks. I saw that wherever he would turn, it was as if he would go about scattering death, and I did not see a single man who came before him and was then spared. This was to such an extent 
that cutting his way through the army of the Quraysh, he emerged from the opposite corner of the army, where the women of the Quraysh were standing. Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan, who was encouraging her men with great zeal and commotion, came before him. Abu Dujana raised his sword upon her, and Hind shrieked in a loud voice, appealing to her men for assistance. But no one came to her aid. Hazrat Zubair states, However, then I saw that Abu Dujana lowered his sword on his own accord and moved away from that place. Zubair relates, On this occasion, I inquired of Abu Dujana what had happened. First you raised your sword but then lowered it. He responded, My heart could not come to terms with the fact that I should use the sword of the Holy Prophet against a woman and then such a woman who at the time had no male protector. Zubair relates, It was then that I understood how Abu Dujana in fact did justice to the sword of the Holy Prophet and that I could perhaps not have done the same and thus the misgiving in my heart was dispelled. Hazrat Khalibtum Si II has narrated this incident in the following manner. During the Battle of Uhud, the Holy Prophet held up the sword and said, I shall give this sword to the one who pledges to do justice to it. Many people stood up to take this sword, but the Holy Prophet granted it to Hazrat Abu Dujana Ansari. During the course of the battle, a few Meccan fighters launched an attack on Hazrat Abu Dujana. During the skirmish, he noticed that one of the fighters was fighting against him with particular aggression and zeal. Hazrat Abu Dujana raised his sword and went to attack him, but he suddenly stopped and then returned, meaning that Hazrat Abu Dujana took hold of his sword and went to attack him, but then left him and returned. One of his friends asked him as to why he left him, to which he replied, When I launched my attack, he said something from which I realized that it was a woman and not a man. His friend asked, Regardless, she was fighting as part of the army, so why did you spare her? Abu Dujana replied, My heart did not permit me to use the sword given to me by the Holy Prophet against a helpless woman. Hazrat Muslim then says, In short, the Holy Prophet would always exhort to honor and respect women. It was due to this teaching that the women of the disbelievers became even more daring in their ploys to attack the Muslims. Yet the Muslims continued to patiently endure all of this. With regards to Abu Dujana, the famous Orientalist Sir William Muir writes, At the commencement of the action, Muhammad held up his sword and said, Who will take this sword and give to it its due? Umar, Zubair, etc., one after another, came forward and were rejected. Last, Abu Dujana offered, and Muhammad gave it to him, and he clave therewith the heads of the unbelievers. Sir William Muir further writes, Pressed by the fierce ardour of the Muslims, the Meccan began to waver. Their horse sought repeatedly to turn the left flank of Muhammad, but they were each time forced back by the galling archery of the fifty archers Muhammad had posted on the neighbouring height. The same daring contempt of danger was displayed as at Badr. The Meccan ranks might be seen to quiver. As Abu Dujana, distinguished by the red kerchief, wound round his helmet, 
swept along and with a sword given to him by Muhammad dealt death on every side. Hamza, conspicuous from his waving ostrich feather, Ali marked by his long white plume, and Zubair known by his bright yellow turban. Like heroes in the battles of the Iliad, carried confusion wherever they appeared. Such were the scenes in which were reared the great leaders of the Muslim conquest. Hazrat ibn Abbas narrates, What I read earlier was taken from Seerat Khatam and Nabiyin. Hazrat ibn Abbas narrates, when the Holy Prophet ﷺ returned from the Battle of Uhud, he gave his sword to his daughter Fatima and asked her to wash the blood from the sword. Hazrat Ali also handed his sword to her and said, Wash the blood from this sword by Allah. It assisted me greatly today. Upon this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, If you have done justice in the battle today, then certainly Sahal bin Hunayf and Abu Dujana did justice also. In one narration, instead of Sahal bin Hunayf, the name of Haris bin Sima has been mentioned. Zaid bin Aslam narrates that people came to see Hazrat Abu Dujana when he was unwell, yet his face was glowing. Someone asked him why his face was glowing, to which Hazrat Abu Dujana replied, From among my actions, there are two things which I adhere to strictly and are significant. Firstly, I never involve myself in matters which do not concern me. Secondly, I have nothing but kindness in my heart for my fellow Muslims. Hazrat Abu Dujana was martyred in 12 Hijri in the Battle of Yamama. After the demise of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Musalma Ghazab falsely claimed to be a prophet and planned to attack Medina. In order to confront them, Hazrat Abu Bakr sent an army in 12 Hijri. Hazrat Abu Dujana was also part of this army. Hazrat Abu Dujana fought fiercely during the Battle of Yamama and attained the station of martyrdom. A large part of Musalma Ghazab's army who had rebelled against Medina were the Banu Hunayfa. They were an ancient Arab tribe and had an orchard in Yamama in which they had set up camp and were fighting from there. The Muslims were unable to enter the orchard. Hazrat Abu Dujana said to throw him inside the orchard and the Muslims did as he requested. However, his fall broke his leg. Despite this, he battled with the idolaters at the door of the orchard and pushing them aside, the Muslims were able to enter. Hazrat Abu Dujana was with Abdullah bin Zayd and Wahshi bin Harb in the killing of Musalma Ghazab. Hazrat Abu Dujana attained martyrdom on the day of Yamama. According to one narration, it is stated that Hazrat Abu Dujana passed away in the Battle of Sifin, fighting on the side of Hazrat Ali. However, this narration seems less reliable. The earlier narration is more authentic and is widely cited. I have narrated this previously, but I will mention the part here which is related to Hazrat Abu Dujana. Abu Dujana was a resident of Medina and from among the Ansar. He accepted Islam before the migration to Medina. He had the honor of participating in the Battle of Badr alongside the Holy Prophet and displayed immense bravery. Similarly, he took part in the Battle of Uhud. When the momentum of the battle shifted, 
i.e. initially the Muslims had the upper hand and were winning, but owing to leaving one area exposed, the disbelievers attacked again and the momentum of the battle turned against the Muslims. Hazrat Abu Dujana was among the group of companions who were near the Holy Prophet at this time. Whilst defending the Holy Prophet he became severely injured. However, despite those injuries, he never moved from his place. Once, during a time of his illness, he said to his friend, Perhaps Allah the Almighty will accept two of my deeds. Firstly, I never involve myself in any vain pursuits, nor do I backbite and talk about people behind their backs. Secondly, I never hold any malice or rancor in my heart against any of my fellow Muslims. This concludes the accounts related to him. I shall now speak about some deceased members and lead their funeral prayers in absentia, among whom there is a martyr, respected Mahbub Khan Sahib, the son of Sayyid Jalal Sahib of Peshawar district. He was martyred a few days ago. At 8 a.m. on 8th of November 2020, the opponents of Ahmadiyyat shot him in the village of Sheikh Muhammadi Peshawar and martyred him. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. According to the reports, on 6th of November, Mahbub Khan Sahib went from Khushal town Peshawar to visit his granddaughter who lives with her family in the neighbouring settlement of Sheikh Muhammadi. On 8th of November, he left to return home. He had reached near the bus stop when the unknown assailants who were following him opened fire on him. One bullet hit the back of his head and came out from the front, which resulted in his death. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The killers then fled the scene. There was only one killer who ran away. The deceased martyr was approximately 80 years old. He retired from the Public Health Engineering Department as an officer superintendent in 2002 and was a pensioner. The deceased's father, Sayyid Jalal Sahib, had the opportunity to perform bayat in the 30s. The deceased was an Ahmadi by birth and possessed many good qualities. He was regular in performing the tahajjud prayers. He was honourable, compassionate, hospitable, as well as being very generous. He had a great passion for preaching the message and calling others towards Allah the Almighty and would remain engaged in this. Whenever he was advised to be careful, he would always reply, The time to meet my Lord is near. If I attain martyrdom through this, then that would be my good fortune. Nonetheless, the desire of his was also fulfilled. Miraj Begum Sahiba, the wife of Mahbub Khan Sahib, has the honour that her father, Muhammad Said Sahib, and her paternal uncle, Bashir Ahmed Sahib, were both martyred in 1966, and now this honour has been bestowed to her husband also. In this manner, she is the daughter of a martyr, niece of a martyr, and the wife of a martyr. He is survived by his wife, Miraj Begum Sahiba, two sons, Munawar Sahib and Fazal Ahmed Sahib, two daughters, Zakia Begum Sahiba and Wahida Begum Sahiba, a grandson and granddaughter from his sons, as well as six grandsons and four granddaughters from his daughters. His younger son has obtained a PhD in microbiology and currently resides in Australia. His other son, Fazal Ahmed Sahib, who lives in Germany, is also well educated with a master's in English. His son, Munawar Khan Sahib, says, Mahbub Khan Sahib went above and beyond in his efforts for the establishment of peace and security in his area. 
In some cases of disputes, he would offer the payment of blood money himself in order to reconcile the two sides. He was always prepared to help the poor and the less fortunate. People would approach him without hesitation and seek help from him. And he would always keep some amount of money with them in order to help such people. He was extremely humble, quiet, patient and sympathetic to others and was always ready to help them. May Allah the Almighty continue to elevate the station of the deceased and enable his family to continue on his virtuous deeds. The second funeral is of Fakhar Ahmed Farrakh Sahib who was a missionary in Pakistan. He passed away on 1st of November 2020 at around quarter past six in the evening as a result of a road accident on his way back from Ahmednagar with his son Etisham Abdullah. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Both father and son were involved in a serious road accident as a result of which they passed away at the scene. By the grace of Allah, Fakhr Sahib was a Musi. His father, Sefer Rahman Sahib, became an Ahmadi on his own at a time when there was no other Ahmadi in his family. He performed the Bayt in 1968, thus becoming the first Ahmadi in his family. Fakhr Sahib graduated from Jami Ahmadiyya Rabwa in 1996, after which he served in various places in Pakistan. He was then sent to the Ivory Coast in West Africa. For the past eight years, he had been serving as the missionary in Ahmednagar. He was married to Tahira Fakhr Sahiba, daughter of Ali Asghar Sahib. They had four daughters and one son. His son, Etisham Abdullah, passed away in the accident along with his father. He is survived by his wife and four daughters, as well as his mother and siblings. His daughters' names are Wajia Amtusubu, Khafia Fakhr, Samreen Fakhr, and Mahreen Fakhr. Fakhr Sahib's wife, Tahira Sahiba, writes that when they were married, Murabi Sahib was posted to a village in Khushab. When she arrived at the centre there, he explained to her the responsibilities of a missionary's wife and explained that now she too was a life devotee alongside him and would have to be at the forefront of taking part in Jamaat work. This is how he ensured for her training. Later he was transferred to Badin. Murabi Sahib went there first and his wife joined him sometime later. She says that the day she arrived, although she had sent prior notice, Murabi Sahib was not at home when she arrived. She waited outside in the sun and later learned that the Mollim's wife was ill and required blood, so he had gone to donate blood. When he returned, she said to him that she had been made to wait outside in the sun despite the fact that he knew she was arriving after a long journey. 
He replied saying that the task he had gone for was also very important and explained to her that sometimes sacrifices like these have to be made. Along with serving the faith, he also served humanity a great deal when he went to the Ivory Coast and always gave precedence to his faith even over his family. His wife says that once, just prior to her daughter being born, she fell ill. Murabi Sahib had left for a medical camp. Though the doctor had stated that his wife's condition was serious, Murabi Sahib still departed for the camp, telling her that Allah will shower his blessing on her as she was the wife of a life devotee and that nothing will happen to her. This was the manner in which he gave precedence to his faith over all worldly matters. He was hospitable, he served others and served the faith. He was loving to all in his family and maintained a friendly relationship with his children. If there was ever a problem, whether at home, in the family, within the community or outside the community, he would handle it in an excellent manner. He would teach his children that they were the offspring of a life devotee and the children of a missionary. Therefore, they must always give precedence to their faith over all worldly matters and must set a good example. Wasif Saib, a missionary from the Ivory Coast, says, When Fakhar Saib came to the Ivory Coast as a missionary, we found him to be very sociable, jovial and possessed a good nature. One of his notable characteristics was the charm with which he spoke and through which he was able to form a bond with whoever he met. He served as a missionary in the Umayyad region for five years. Everyone, young and old, became very attached to him due to his excellent moral character and kindness and would always recall him fondly. He would secretly pay the fare for some poor people to travel to Jalsa Salana. He also says that during his time, Fakhar Sahib's region remained first in the attendance at Jalsa. A local Molim, Samaru Harun Sahib, says, I worked with Fakhar Sahib for two and a half years and he would take care of me like a brother. One thing I noted in particular was that he was an extremely hard-working and passionate missionary. He undertook every task with great responsibility and devotion. He strove to complete his work in a swift manner, whether it was propagating the message of Islam, collecting monetary contribution or preparing for Jalsa Salana. His passion for the propagation of Islam was such that he wished to spread the message of Ahmadiyya to every village as quickly as possible. May Allah the Almighty elevate the station of the deceased. May He protect his daughters and his wife and safeguard them from any future difficulties and hardships. The third funeral is of Ihtisham Ahmed Abdullah, son of missionary Fakhar Ahmed Farooq Sahib. As I mentioned earlier, he passed away with his father in a road accident. By the grace of Allah, he was part of the blessed scheme of Wakfinah. He was currently studying in his first year. He was not a Musu yet, but he had filled out the Wasiyat form, but had not submitted it yet. Nevertheless, Majlaskar Pradas can process it if the form had been completed. His mother says that her son possessed many good qualities. He was virtuous, righteous and obedient. He was part of the Wakfinor scheme and he was regular in his prayers. He would fulfill every request made by the local Zaim of Majlis Qudam Lamdiyah and would perform duties in an excellent manner. In fact, he had performed the duty at the mosque on the day he passed away. May Allah the Almighty bestow his forgiveness and mercy on the deceased and elevate his status. The next funeral is of Dr. Abdul Karim Sahib, son of Mia Abdul Latif Sahib of Rabwa. 
who is a retired economic advisor for the State Bank of Pakistan. He passed away on September 14th at the age of 92. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was the grandson of Hazrat Maulvi Muhammad Ali Sahib, a companion of the Promised Messiah He was part of the very first batch at the Limud Islam College in Qadian. When the college moved to Lahore after the partition, he obtained his master's from Punjab University as a student of Talimul Islam College. At the time, he was the only student at the university from Talimul Islam College. Later, he received a scholarship from the State Bank of Pakistan and went to the United States of America to obtain a PhD in economics from George Washington University. He stayed at the Fazl Mosque where he would participate in activities to propagate the message of Islam in his spare time. Dr. Saib had a profound love for Pakistan. Despite working in an international institutions like the World Bank throughout his career, he chose to live and work from Pakistan. He spent an extended period of time working for the State Bank of Pakistan and later retired from his position as an advisor. During his career, he successfully completed many governmental and non-governmental assignments in conjunction with the institutions such as IMF and the Asian Development Bank. He also worked for some time in the Ministry of Finance and a federal budget was also prepared under his supervision. He was also sent to Khartoum in Sudan for two years by the IMF in order to settle various economic matters. After retiring from the state bank, he chose to live in Rabwa in order to serve the Jamaat. Thus, he would often be consulted in matters which pertain to economics and religion. He was part of a committee there and I too would seek his advice. He would give very sound advice and wrote excellent articles on these topics. His research was always very in-depth and he would present practical solutions. He has written some books as well, which include The Basics of Islam in English, Islamic Philosophy, Life and Economics, which is also in English, hurmat e which is in Urdu, as is husul e After retiring, upon the instructions of Hazrat Khalid Musi IV, Rahimahullah, in 1989, he devoted his life and went to the Tashkent University in Uzbekistan to teach economics, where he stayed for six months. Then there was a committee formed by Hazrat Khalid Musi IV, Rahimahullah, to review matters relating to mortgages and interest, consisting of scholars and experts and he was also part of this committee. There was also a subcommittee, and I worked with him in this committee for a short time. As I mentioned earlier, he would go in depth and present matters based on firm evidence. He has sent various articles to me on the system of interest, and these articles are very good. God willing, they will be reviewed further, and it is possible that the economic system which will be established in the future to replace the system based on interest will include some of his recommendations as well. May Allah the Almighty elevate the station of the deceased and enable his progeny to follow in his virtuous deeds.